Hello everyone, welcome to the Desolation Sounds podcast. My name is Stephen Hook and this is a podcast celebrating everything to do within the world of alternative music, be that rock, punk, metal or extreme metal. This is the sixth time I've done this because I keep fucking it up. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to have a review from uh, the new Metallica show, SM2 with the San Francisco Symphony, and reviews from Chelsea Wolf, Blink-182, The Who, or The Who, I haven't quite figured out how it's pronounced yet, and The Menzingers, and do... Stick around to the very, very end of the show where I have been given ultra super special permission to show off the brand new track from Berry based thrashy punk black metalers Pissed. P I S T. The song is called If I Was You. It comes from that album Hails, which is coming out the 8th of November. They, you might have heard of Pissed before. They previously did like a very swampy southern stoner kind of metal, like Nolan style. Um, Southern Metal, they are now embracing a more blackened, thrash, stroke, punk hybrid kind of sound, which sounds fucking venomous. Um, I'm getting a lot of wafts of like Dark Throne and Cavell Attack. Do stick around to the end of the episode to hear their brand new track. It comes out on general release tomorrow, which is Friday. Um, and yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. I like to think I'd only... Um, advertised the very best around here outside of album reviews so yeah do stick around the song's going to be called If I Was You it's by Piss and that's coming up right at the very end I'm not going to do any news this week because literally the only bit of news that's been going on is this non-beef between Rob Flynn of Machine Head the internet and Dope Fredman Ed Cell Dope which First of all, Ed Zeldo has been in the, news, in the news recently more than he has in the past 10 years. And it's all about how Machine Head released a new song, which isn't very good. And it's got Die Motherfucker Die in it and everyone's saying they're ripping off Dope. Rob Flynn then said, fuck you Dope, what are you, you bunch of bitches? To which point Ed Zeldo came out and said, you know, we've actually got more plays than you on Spotify. And in today's climate, that means... We're mildly better, but I know for a fact we're not. Because if we were touring together, you would play top billing and we'd be supporting. It's just fucking dumb. It really is. It's weird that the guy from Dope is taking the moral high ground on all this. It's fucking dumb, and I hate it. So, despite the fact I've just gone on about it for a few minutes, well, about a minute, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, not gonna get up the satisfaction of being part of the overall show. And I'm also kind of unwell. I've caught the lure going around, so I'm extra bitter today. Just wait till I get the Blink-182. That's going to be a fucking shit show. And I will have to sniff every now and again. I'll try and do it away from the mic as possible, but fuck you. We will start by looking at... I had very special... Well, not very special permission. I got to go see uh, Metallica and San Francisco Symphony perform S&M 2. I got to see it in the cinema because it's not the past and I didn't go to San Francisco. Um, the long and short of it is on the 6th of September, Metallica commemorate their S&M live show, the 20th anniversary of their S&M live show from 1999. That's how 20 years works. Um, and they did like a sequel show again with the San Francisco Symphony in California. I, the, the way I've written this in my notes is fucking awful. Jesus Christ. The whole show was conducted just masterfully by Edwin Outwater and it was directed by Michael, Til Michael Tilson Thomas. Outwater at times felt like a fully-fledged rock star. He was so energetic and put everything into um, his conduction. Or was conducting, I'm not quite sure what the proper adjective is. Um... And yeah, the way I'm just trying to think of like a modern alternative, but you, you, any live musician, any good live musician, front man who like is just or front woman who doesn't have like a instrument to play at the same time, where they just bounce and move and jive, not like Vince Neil does. He just had that for a symphony, and I thought it was astounding. It was really, really good, and it really added to like the energy of the show. Um. Before going into the main show, the actual rigging itself, because they did like a pan shot, I thought the rigging and the staging was fucking excellent. It was, I don't know where it was, I think it was Mexico, when they had like, the stage was in the middle, and they had everyone surrounding them. It was kind of like that, so you had the centre stage, 
and you had like Met Club members a little bit closer to him because you know that's how that works and you had general peasants in around them and above them so you had like lighting effects and light show and that kind of thing and just a pretty stage and above them you had about five or six white rings that had projections on them and projections for each song just looked class it was a really subtle touch but a really effective one like, for example one you had like the troops walking by i think just for ecstasy of gold just had like a mirage of colors i think it was confusion that had like like a post-apocalyptic vibe going on it it just added to the stage for such a minimal little thing i thought it worked really well and what i thought was nice such because obviously they want to do this like circle based staging which they've done before like i said in mexico or canada wherever it was i'm pretty sure it was mexico um when they did oh my my rigging's loose when they did um sm1 back in day obviously this was 1999 technology wasn't technological enough um they had metallica in front i'm just trying to think myself now yeah metallica in front orchestra behind them and you had michael Kamen doing his little doodle-doo um, because they wanted this like round stage, they had all the um, sympathy surrounding them as well. And in order to do that, because you can't have as as energetic as energetic as Edwin Outward was, he wasn't prepared to run around like a fucking lunatic for two hours. They had like what looked like little GoPro cameras situated in sections, so they could still watch him conduct and like orchestrate while still being in the position, which. I know it was very, very basic, and I imagine in the world of um, classical music and orchestra these days, it's very, very box standard, but I just thought it was really, really nice to see. Excuse me. So, on to the actual show itself now. I'll kind of run through loosely the track listing. It started off with Ecstasy of Gold. Same way they started off with SM1. That song is just incredible. Um, it's always been, it's always been like stated how well um metallica are introducing people to other musicians and the artists like garage was a big one i'm good um opening their shows with xc of gold and just talk about any americone probably i'm pronounced that right at all and being on that tribute album it's it's just a, a brilliant piece of music um from there into to call of cthulhu again same way they did back in the day Really, really nice stuff. So far, so gravy. Um, into If Whom the Bell Tolls, Always Gonna Be Grey. The Day Never Comes when the first songs that they didn't do from the previous show, because obviously it was the movie of them. I love that song. It was one of the first songs to get me into Metallica, get me to heavy music. So I'm always going to be a fan of that song. Ugh, ugh, I'm dying. Slowly than usual, but... Is slowly a word? I don't know. Into... The memory, the memory remains into confusion, which I thought really, really worked really well as well. I went with a couple of friends, and when we were walking back, me and my friend Mikey were talking about the songs that could and could not work for this kind of set and this kind of SM thing. Um, and we were going through them, and we can't think of a Metallica song that would not work under this guise. You know, um, oh, shut up, Bone. It's like even if you went back to the proper proper OG days and you had did something from Kill 'Em All. Imagine a sympathy do it going along to like Whiplash or Hit the Lights. Little flute in the background. Oh, I can't whistle at the moment. You know, except flute like. Yeah, I would love for them to have just done an entire their entire back catalogue. They're doing every song they've ever recorded with this S and M um, setting. Into confusion, moth into flame, or moth into flame. Outlaw torn, outlaw torn might be the as much as I've just said. All the songs work very, very well, and it's all very deadly. The outlaw torn might be the best song for this. You know, um, one works really well with this classical arrangement. Um, the wherever I may roam works very well. Boom the bell toll works really well. I don't know why I struggle with that. The Call of Cthulhu, nothing, nothing will beat the Outlaw Torn. It is just, it's a 
beautiful song on its own. Um, podcast I listened to was referring to it as one of the most underrated Metallica songs. And I tell you what, it's a fucking big claim, but it's not far off from the truth at all. But with this, it's just fucking insane. Oh my god. Oh my god. And the fact it's so long as well, you can just keep enjoying it forever. Into No Leaf Clover, one of the original songs that they wrote for the original S&M. It was good to see that again. Kind of wish they ever released that on its own. I'd like to see what it sounds like in the studio as well. And then they first fa- finished the first half of the set with Halo on Fire. My personal favourite song from Hardwired to Self-Destruct. So I'm always going to be big, big fan of that. It was It's wild actually because I thought Halo on Fire would be the song from Hardwired. And I thought it worked the best um, in this arrangement. And it does work very well. But from the looks of it, I think it's Moth into Flame is the song from the album. It got pointed out to me again by this other podcast. And the more I think about it, I want to deny it, but I fucking can't. It's not my favourite song. It's no, it's a good song, but, you know, Halo on Fire is better. They had their break. They came back, and it was initially Lars coming out and, like, chatting to the crowd and saying hello to Flags and stuff. He got really good geography back in the day. And he introduced Mike and Tilson Thomas, who... Uh, give us a bit of history lesson. He started talking about because he was going to play a bit of music exclusively by the symphony, and he chose the Scythian Suite, which is the Opus Twenty Second Movement from Sergei Sergeyevich Prokofiev. Prokofiev, Prokofiev, Prokofiev. Prokofiev. And yeah, it kind of gave like a kind of kind of a little bit of cool history lesson. Um, basically, from memory, and bear in mind, I'm full of crap right now. Um, more than so usual. The Scythians were like a historical, I think like warrior community. I don't want to say warrior tribe, but a warrior community. He used the means around them to build a civilization, which is, you know, anyone who's played Sith, um, the Sith Meyer Sith series, it's a really hard sentence, will know exactly what that's all about. And they, so they did the Scythian suite exclusively with the symphony and it sounded beautiful it's really 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 nice way to restart the show again because for us in cinema we didn't get the intermission but for them at the time they would have had time to like fuck off get some drinks and like cool down a little bit this would have been like a really really nice way of like setting back in i can't remember how they did it back in 99 and then tills and thomas were started going on about how he wanted to play a song called iron foundry by alexander Mosolov. And he said it's all about, whereas Scythian Suite was all about a more archaic age, Iron Foundry was a bit more futurism about um, machinism and just, I did a bit of reading, it came out in the late 20s, early 30s. So it's all about what, the impending industrial revolution. I think, that was, I think my time's all right. I never did very good at history. My teacher hated me. And I was on the geography side of class. And so, they were like, we thought it was really fitting to have Metallica come out to this arrangement, but we played it to them, and they liked it so much that they wanted to play it with us. So on come Metallica, and Metallica and the symphony collaborated for a completely symphonic piece of music with Metallica on top, as opposed to everything else being Metallica with a symphony on top. And it was insane. I loved it. I would have loved if they did. If, if I'm going to be super nitpicky, everything I've got to say that's negative is super nitpicky. Like, I fucking adored SM1 and I adored this. Um, it's too soon to tell if I prefer it to the original. Very hard, considering SM might be one of the greatest live shows of all time. But I would love for them to do Exit of Gold in Disguise because they've done it in studio before with Symphony, would have been insane. But Iron Foundry with Metallica and the Symphony was unreal and it was just i can't put into words it was in awe of how they took a symphonic a classical piece of music and then just metallicalized it sure and yeah just sounded amazing and from there a really cool somber performance it was just james on his own without his guitar which that alone, just James standing there in front of a microphone with like nothing to strum, 
that's a weird sight because this has been what nearly four years of seeing James at the front of Metallica with an axe. Um, which is him on his own with the symphony doing a classical rendition of the Unforgiven Three, which was I think it was probably that the boldest move they did for the entire set list because of the trilogy of the Unforgiven. No one's favorite is the Unforgiven Three. The Unforgiven One is one of my favorite songs of all. It's probably, well, it's definitely my favorite Metallica song. Might be my favorite song of all time. And you would think if you're gonna do any sort of Unforgiven song, even if it was like the full classical arrangement, it would be that. No, they did Unforgiven Three. I think James kind of fell. He looked kind of awkward because, again, this is nearly forty years of him playing guitar to Metallica, and now he's just got to stand there. So we could like tapping his hands, looking around, trying to like make himself look occupied but it was such an idyllic performance the car alarm outside agrees and yeah it was just a somber performance it was very very like i said it was so different to see because of like, the variable between james and the symphony but amazing i think Looking at the set list now, the first half of the second half of the show was all about them getting their ideas out and they like they want to experiment, they want to go outside the box because that's what Metallica have been doing for fucking years. You know, not many metal bands want to do this in the first place, let alone do it a second time. Um, they they wanted to go, you know, a bit more of a, a commercial route and then still come out smelling like roses ish. Um, they wanted to make a film based around their music with them actually having a say in what does and doesn't go in. You know, they uh, they wanted to make that experimental album with Lou Reed. They are, as much shit as they get, they are one of the most forward-thinking bands, one of the most idea bands, like, in metal right now. And it's... It's refreshing because, well, it is and it isn't because it's refreshing the fact that the bands like this exist, but every single time they do something, it just gets blasted. And, like, I'll, I'm not going to sit here and defend Lulu. I thought it was fucking shit, but you can't, you can say it's shit, but you can't say that it's not at least something different. It's new, it's creative. Same with this, and same with doing um, a performance like this because. It is stripping away everything that people know for Metallica in a Metallica song and just recreating it. And it worked really, really well. James, on the whole show's performance, um, considering all the, the health issues he had recently, he's come out saying he's got... Um, he's having to battle some alcoholism, demons again. So best wishes to him. He sounded completely... If this was if this like overlap timelines, which I think it would have done, he sounds fucking excellent. He's a man who just audibly has not like not wavered at all. The band themselves, Kirk Hammett has probably looked 27 for the past 40 years. Um, Lars, I think, has... I think Lars and James have both grown old gracefully. And I love the fact that um, James is rocking his 90s handlebar moustache. And Rob is another one who doesn't look like he's aged a single bit he had he had his hair back in like the four braids like when he first joined metallica which is really really cool for throwback i don't i didn't think he did it that much anymore but i must be a wrong one anyway um yeah the whole panda just the time only seems to focus on certain people at any po one point so for unforgiven three went into um all within my hands from saint anger it was if you listen to the Alive and Masonic album from start of the year, that kind of rendition, like all acoustic, I don't think, I can't really remember the Sympathy playing too much of a part in that because it's already quite a isolated piece of music with acoustic um, instruments instead. Um, and again, to be nitpicky, I'd love to have heard St. Anger with the orchestral performance or orchestral background, um, but that might have been a step too far for everyone else. Into, from that, they went into Anesthesia, which was performed by a San Francisco Symphony bassist, whose name I don't have written down. 
and that of everything out of the Unforgiven Three, Iron Foundry, um, Exe of Gold, even Outlaw Torn. This was the most awe-inspiring part and the most just fucking unreal piece of music. Um, just one guy. I I always thought like the big double basses. You always have the pluck. He was like. Um, Oh, what's up? Is it strumming? When it's with a bow? He's basically playing it like I'd expect a cello to be played. Well, like that, again, that big bow thingy. I'm not very good with music, as you can tell. Um, and it was just him, an electric upright bass, wah pedals, distortion pedals, like how, like the kind of, inf like the kind of things um, Cliff Burton was doing back in the day. Because of my age and because of how late into their career I got into Metallica. Cliff Burton for me is just the most literal form of the word legend because I've got nothing concrete excuse me to say of how good he was. There's been excuse me, stories and stories and stories and there's like little clippets of live videos here and there, but you look at a lot of the modern day musicians, like everyone says like the next big thing. When Gent first popped and then was like look at these super technical guitarists there was good um, videos of them everywhere like you know Burton being around the 80s wasn't that much compared to today's standards so having his gravitas has just got sort of been filtered down over the years and like fed down to me this was the first time it ever put into perspective me because this what this guy was doing on the upright bass to me is what Cliff was doing back back in the day with um, you know, your more traditional based or electric um, bass guitars, and it was just captivating. The things he was doing, the sounds he was creating, just the overall performance of this one guy performing anesthesia and just like a general bass solo, it was amazing. It was so fantastic, and yeah, it said like a whole like big fan of Burton and he wanted to like recreate this piece and yeah it worked incredibly well i can i like i said i don't have his name but if nothing else seek that out I, hopefully someone will fucking put a video of it just isolated and it is um it's just emph emphatically in the knuckles just one of the best things about the show um and then from there they went back to playing the hits so wherever i may roam into one one's always going to be great in this setting um, Master of Puppets, nothing else matters, and they ended with Enter Sandman. Always going to pop the crowd, always going to be a really strong ending song. The show was insane. The show was fucking great. I loved it. Um, like I said, SM won. Isolated Alone, probably one of my favourite albums of all time. Probably one of the um, best live shows I've ever watched in any sort of guys, either in person or on DVD. And it's just, I love, like, love this sort of thing. And I've talked about before having other bands do it. And I'd love to see more. My, again, my only nitpicking little suggestions were just a few more songs, a few more, like, Fate of Black, I think would have been really, really great. Saint Anger, The Unforgiven One. <laughs> Mama said. I think would be good as well. But outside of that, yeah. SM2. Fucking great, lads. And yeah, it was a lovely way to start off a new week in listening to music because all oh, this week was it was a weird one for the old reviews. And let's get straight into them. We're going to start with Chelsea Wolf and her sixth album. Oh, I need to get comfy in my chair. Her sixth album, uh, Birth of Violence. Uh, she comes to us from... Rose, Roseville, California, um, which is not my first guess if I was going to try and figure out where a super intense and super uber goth lady like Chelsea Wolfe would come from in the sunny state of California. Um, musically, she tends to have two moods. It is either uh, dark, spoopy folk music or it's dark, spoopy doom music. Uh, the previous album that she released, um, His Spun, leaned more on the heavy and more on the doom 
um, side of things, and it put on the radar for a lot of music, uh, a lot of metal fans, excuse me. I know her on beforehand, which name escapes me, also started tapping into a little bit of the more doomier, angrier kind of thing, but it wasn't all the way there. His bomb was the, 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 the turn of the knob, as it were, and went, yeah, I'm a doom. This one, she's gone back into the realms of like gothic folk, and she blends um, Americana, Melancholia, and just her fucking ice cold yet beautiful voice, all like just cauldron together. Um, she is the modern day queen of goth. Just fucking look at her. She's beautiful, and she's fucking. To take a quote from an anime I watched recently, um, she's blacker than licorice at midnight. Which is just an insane, insane line. I can't remember what the anime is called. It's about Mexican drug cartels. Feel fine, it's incredible. Anyway, back to music. Um, the evidence to support the fact that she's modern day Queen of Goth is, isn't just, you know, how she dresses, despite the fucking licorice analogy. I kind of wish I read my notes further forward. Um, it's not just how she dresses, and it's not just how she carries herself. You look at the opening song, Mother Road, or you listen to the opening song, Mother Road. It was the lead single from the album. And there's a song that is so morose and so brooding and so um, just... I'm going to use this word, word a lot throughout this review. It's just so dark. It is very, very dark and very, again, very cold song. I have very limited adjectives. Um, and, you know, the, the background building, like a, the background song, sorry, building like a dark ambience. Um... And it's all on the back of like this ethereal combination of Wolf and an acoustic guitar. The song is all about Route 66, which is just a big ass road that stretches all across America. Like, lyrically, it should be just an anthem from rednecks around the world. But it's written in such a way that you can just walk ominously and brutally and emo-y. Um, in the rain too, which I did the other day. It was fucking pissing it down. I stuck this album on and I felt fucking immortal. It was fantastic. And so on the whole then, Birth of Violence is this haunting acoustic balladry that accentuates Wolf's voice just so perfectly. Um, my notes are fucking atrocious. Don't write notes for things you need to review at 2 o'clock in the morning. You will make no sense. Um, Hispun was a very heavy album in its own right. Obviously, it's like big electric guitars, a lot of um, distortion production, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's all heavy and it's all haunting for its very own reasons. But in my opinion, and I talked about the distortion, the effects and that kind of thing, all that was used in a way to add to the mystique and that theme of doom and gloom heavy on a lot of it went to Chelsea's voice however on Birth of Violence her voice is almost exclusively clean and is without effects and she sounds so much better for it holy shit she's just got this incredible voice and you know like Going back, and I listened to a little bit of Hispun whilst re um, reviewing this, and I was like, wow, yeah, she does have a great voice, but it doesn't compare to being able to just, like, get it out and get it almost clean. And I can see someone written down here, like, a ASMR tingles. It is that, I won't go as far as say ASMR, but the way ASMR hits you and just, like, gets you to the, all the way into it, like, the back of your spine, it tingles that, that level, and it's just from her, and it's just from her voice. It is, again, it is so cold and it's it gets her gothic theme across so much better than anything Hispun could do. Um, like American Darkness and Highway are two songs that I've singled out. They think uh, they show off her voice the best and they are equal parts intimidating and gothic without strafing anywhere near the realms of traditional heavy or what Hispun did as super heavy. And, you know, outside of just, like, the dark, broody nature of the album and Chelsea's voice, I kind of find it hard to really describe the album. Because it's an album for me that I just kept sinking into. It was very hard to pay attention to, like, the looks and crannies of the album. It was just more an album where you could put on, go for a walkout, and you just 
you lose yourself in it. And it's the, one of the very few times I can really think about an album really doing that without it being boring. And like, I'll go for walks, trying to put it on, to listen for an hour, and then I'll come back and like, I have no idea what just happened because I was just in a daze. Um, and you do just get lost in like her vocals and those ghostly arrangements. And to me, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, the fact that you can just like fall into its abyss and just general vibe coming off the album. And it is, for me, it is quite refreshing, quite nice, because once I realised that it was an album that had that I couldn't describe, you just realise that it's not, you don't need to put so much attention into it which again i still don't know if that's a good or a bad thing it's fucking shit when you try to review it and you need to put an album into words um but yeah i just cathartic for different reasons than all like the hardcore and grindcore i've listened to recently it is a dark almost ritualistic affair it is birth of violence the sixth album from chelsea wolf love to know what other people are saying about it because Ah, it's just, I don't like describing, um, describing music as beautiful, but it's fucking up there. And on to something. <laughs> on to something very, very different now. I'm going to, I'm going to swig tea first. Excuse that dead air. Okay. Are we ready? The album is called Nine. It is by Blink-182. It is their eighth album. I'll get to that. Um, and I found out only doing this. They're from Poway, California. Never heard of Poway before. Uh, everyone knows the sound of Blink-182 by now. Pop rock, pop punk, alt rock. A little bit of like hippity hoppity undertones in underneath. Thanks to Travis. Um, Nine is the second album with Matt Skiba from Alkaline Trio, among others. And it, it it follows the actually quite enjoyable California. I remember getting California and thought, wow, this is so great because it's so much better than Neighbourhoods. And it's an album that hasn't aged too well for me because I have gone on a bit of a tirade of trying to find actual pop punk instead of, like, commercial pop punk, if that makes sense. Which, if anyone's been listening for the last year or so, hopefully we'll know what I get. We'll know, get what I'm saying, even words and such um the reason it's called nine even though it's album number eight is because mark hoppus counts buddha as an album the, the demo album from before they oh, i can't remember when the timeline fits but basically he's accounting buddha as an album that's why it's called nine not eight but mark is wrong so who really gives a fuck it was produced by rock's greatest enemy it was produced by a man called John Feldman, who you've probably heard a John Feldman album. He is also known as the frontman to Goldfinger, a skater punk turned ska punk turned pop punk band that I think were really, really big in the States, but did jack shit over here. Can't think why. And he produced California, which explains like the uber pop moments, but then the reason why we have this uber pop pop punk these days is because of blink 182 so it worked quite well for them for california since california feldman has produced for the likes of one okay rock the struts mayday parade state champs and black veil brides in 2019 alone he has produced for the fever 333 uh 311 the fime and ashley tisdale because who the fuck needs an album from ashley tisdale in 2019 he is simultaneously the best and the worst man for this job of producing the new Blink-182 album. Just... What? Ah, I spent... I've put my notes there just like, what is this? I spent 45 minutes last night trying to figure out how to start reviewing 9. Um, I was thinking, do I do it track by track by track? Do I do the good then the bad? Do I do the bad then the good? Or should I just ignore it altogether and go straight into the hue? Or the who, whatever they're called. Um, because it's just, it's 
it's not it this is not going to be a positive review let's just say that i decided we will start with all the good points want to get all the good points out there because there are some good points as much as i'm going to rag on this album a bit there are some good points to this album um first of all matt skiba sounds fucking amazing um for those unaware matt skiba like i said he's a member of the band alkaline trio in fact he's one of the co-frontmen of alkaline trio they are a they are a pop punk band that's an actual pop punk band um, punk rock music with commercial sensibilities and mainstream appeal. And they are a lot of fun. They never, never really exploded in Blighty that much. They've got Save Me, which had a song, which music video had Kat Von D in it. Uh, they had another song that broke up here that I can't remember off the top of my head. They had Armageddon that was on Tony Hawk's Underground soundtrack, which is a great song. And in the sense, I think they did very well in America back when pop punk was cared about. And they have since maintained a bit of a cult following. Uh, more in the States, but, you know, there's like a global cult thing as well. I'm going to stop drinking because it's cold now. Um, he replaced Tom DeLonghi. DeLong? Never quite actually should be sure how you pronounce his name. Tom DeLong in 2015 when he left. And that's how you replace someone because they leave. And on nine, he adds a bit more of an edge and a bit more of an oomph, a much needed oomph to a lot of the songs. His choruses on songs like Dark Side, Run Away, No Heart to Speak Of. I fucking butchered that in my notes. Uh, no Heart to Speak Of. His natural punk voice serves the songs very, very well. And he often teeters just, just into a full punk yelp. Not all the way, because this is a no fun done kind of zone. But you know, just just a just a just a tiddle little bit. Um elsewhere, Travis Barker remains the coolest drummer in pop punk, but then again that's like saying the best part of going outside is going back inside again. They're just mutually agreed statements. And honestly, the best parts of this album are the parts that sound nothing like the rest of the album, which I know. I know is the really super clever, like Gotim kind review, but legitimately, the that no heart to speak of chorus is on par with "Stay Together for the Kids." Uh, Dark side could be a mid tier song from California. Happy days is probably the closest thing you get to a standard Blink One Eight Two song. A lot of people have been comparing that to "Feeling This" from the self titled. And yeah, just so legitimately, the best musical moments of Nine for me are the parts that don't thematically match the rest of Nine. And now the parts that, that don't want to the worst parts, the, the bad parts of the album, which continues another fucking page. This is a painfully dull copy and paste piece of music. It is just rubbish. Not shit. Not crap, not vile, it's just rubbish. It's so boring, it can't even be a swear word. It's just rubbish. Why would you, like, as much as, um, it's not even an opening song, is it? Why open your record with what equates to a really shit all-time low B-side? Which, in itself, all-time low their entire discography is a bunch of Blink-182 B-sides. You're now on C-sides of your own music, pal. Like, why would you pepper all the best parts of your album in amongst some of the most vapid music being released all year? You know, like, the types of chorus I was talking about earlier are led in by some of the most pathetic verses. Like, Runaway, it's led in by this line. Feed me in the sun, I'm melting like a popsicle. Give me the flu, I'm dying in this hospital. What the fuck does that even mean? What does... I melt... What? I just... Leave me in the sun, I'm melting like a popsicle. Give me the flu, I'm dying in this hospital. I generally don't know what he's talking about. And I know, like, I've read that the album is about, like, uh, mental illness, relationships... Uh, or your standard pop punk affair, modern pop punk affair. But what the fuck does this line mean? Happy days again. People keep saying it sounds like feeling this. It sounds like they're recording a bad cover of their own music now. Is that a C side or is that D side or is that just shit? The octaves on pull the grenade or pin the grenade, sorry, fluctuate more than a fucking sine wave. 
and Hung Over You. Hung Over You could genuinely be a really, really great song, but it's dampened by some fucking twatty lyrics, and I don't even know what the fuck that pre-chorus is, but I know I don't like it. And these are all, like, the, the, they're, like, they're the songs with positive qualities, and they're ruining them with their shitness. Like, the songs that are, like, shit across like from start to finish i really wish i hated you can just get in the fucking bin oh my god i knew that song was gonna be a fucking dumpster fire of a song as soon as i saw the song title um and a fun old story i got like a soft emotion at work recently and that was when we were one of my last shifts is like the slight high position we tend to listen to music about and my friend put on like a general pop punk playlist and a lot of it was blink no two and it got to this song this was one of the last songs I heard on shift before I had to get stepped down and put back onto like my lower position. That's how good this song is. It fucking killed my job. It's ball achingly bad. Apparently, like to move on. Apparently, the song "Heaven" is all about a mass shooting that happened near Mark Hopkins' house uh, last year. Okay, it's fair enough. There's there's no joke about the the song. Um meaning or um what's the fucking word the song subject but this is the chorus right angel wings at the bus stop halo's left on top of the bar heaven doesn't want me now heaven doesn't want me a what the fuck does that first part mean b heaven doesn't want me on a song about a mass shooting am i misreading that or does that seem a bit harsh the rest of the song, like the lyrics, I haven't got them up now, but I remember reading them and thinking, if, if I didn't know, if I didn't read the fact that Heaven was about um, what it's about, I would have thought it was some really shitty um, love song. Like some breakup song. Like, oh, have we, we've broken up and, you know, you don't want to see him anymore, so that's fine. Like, going on like that, along that narrative, they split up, the other person doesn't want to see him anymore, so they're feeling suicidal, but either something stopped them committing suicide, or they survived the attempt, or whatever. Angel Wings left at the bus stop, that could be them breaking up, like used to get the school bus together, or whatever. Heaven doesn't want me now, heaven is saying, don't kill yourself, there's still plenty more fish in the sea. That narrative makes more sense than a fucking mass shooting. Right? You haven't broken up, the other person's just dead. That's what I think the actual narrative is. Five Sauce would even turn away um, Blame It On My Youth. That song is just tripe garbage. Ransom. Ransom's just fucking shit. That's the review for that song. Because why should I put in more effort than they sit, than they did on that song? It's fucking woefully awful. Generational Divide is so hilariously poignant. Mark Hopper sounds like a fucking dementia patient listening to Skiba on the radio. That's like the sort of effects they did. You've got Skiba like this distorted mumbling in the background. And you've got Mark Cabell saying, Is it better? Are we better? 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 Just for eternity. Thankfully, that song is less than a minute long, because my God, you'd want to fucking die listening to it any longer. People have pointed this out. Like, I read a few reviews trying to like, help me put all this shit into words, but a few people pointed this out. Who is writing this album? Is it... Mark Hoppus as a child. Is it, or like a young teen pubescent bitch. Is it Mark remembering his childhood? Or Mark writing someone remembering their childhood? Is it Sobek, the pantheon of fertility and crocodiles? Who the fuck knows? No one knows. That's who. No one fucking knows. Blink-182 seem to be in this weird middle ground at the moment where they're trying to be mature, yet remain relevant to the youth of the day. Which sounds like a difficult task. From the sounds of it, it fucking is. But they managed it 16 years ago and they're self-titled. Why the fuck are they struggling now? You know, I know they were like in their 30s back then, younger, more in, more in time with the youth. But he's actually got kids now. Like, at one point, why did he not say, like, daughter, does this sound right? Nah, dad, it sounds fucking shit. If you made this line and said, like, thanks, daughter, I'm going to make millions now. You bitch. 
usually, if I even if there's an album that's come on and I review and I don't like it, and I'll like awkwardly say, I don't like this bit, or I don't like that part, because like I, I tend to aim for smaller bands, anyways, and say their music shit just sort of like a bit of a deterrent, isn't it? But I still encourage people to go and listen to it because it, everyone's tastes are different. What I think, like, I really enjoy from one song and then putting onto a playlist later might be like, oh, actually, that was the best song and it was only okay and now it's kind of shit. Everyone, someone else should listen to this because it might be absolutely their thing. The Affixion album, for example, I really didn't like the Affixion album, but I knew a friend of mine would absolutely love it. And as soon as I put a review about it, he messaged me saying, oh, I actually really, really like that album. The same fucking guy. I know exactly who to take his kid to. With Nine, I have no idea. I usually encourage people to go and listen to new music because you need to explore new music. You need to expand your own horizon. You need to find out what you like and don't like. Don't fucking explore this. It's going to be awful. You're going to have a bad time. I've started watching Slip, uh, Slip not South Park recently. You're going to have a bad time, okay? Oh my god, that was felt good to get out of my system. The album's called Nine. It's called it's the album number eight because fuck you, that's why. It's by Blink-182. Who gives a fucking shit? Let's move on to the Who. All the Who. I'm not still not quite sure how to pronounce it. The album's called Gereg or Jereg or I'm going to go with Gehrig, just because it's easier. Oh, fuck me, I need to calm down first. Okay. We're calm. We're going to give the Who the time and energy they deserve. Namaste. The Gehrig is the debut album from the Who, or the Who. They are from Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. I'd like to think I got that right first time. And they are marketed as a folk metal band. And if you're anything like me, it conjures up ideas of Korpaklani, Skyclad, Churishath, you know, that ilk. It's not that at all. It's it's very much not that. What it feels like is very traditional folk music with a Western rock drummer and Western rock influenced songwriting. You know, Tengar Cavalry. Everyone keeps saying like the Hue are like the the first and like the best people to do this. Tengar Cavalry did it first. Tengar Cavalry did it better. Tengar Cavalry did it with they had melodic death metal and then put the Mongolian folk stuff on top. This separates itself from that identity because the Who there's there's not an electric instrument that I can pick up on at least. It's all on traditional instruments apart from the dr- drums, obviously. It's all traditional instruments just with, like, hooked up in the same way you would hook up an acoustic guitar for a live performance. You know? And because of that, I feel like it's a bit of a stretch to call this a metal album. Because I feel like it's got loads of rock elements to it. It's not just me saying, it's not metal because it hasn't got guitars in it. Just the speed, the kind of riffs that they do. And just the overall, overall arrangement, it doesn't feel very metal to me. It's got way more rock influence than it does metal, but that's a argument for probably another day. Or about 30 seconds time when I start reading the rest of my review. I wrote this a few days ago. Um, the way they employ their instruments are similar to guitars in the same way Apocalypti- Apocalyptica did it back in the day on cellos. But again, yeah, even Apocalyptica is, I think, just the way they produce their sound. sounded heavier, and that's why it went more metal than rock kind of things. And what I thought was kind of cool is they used their throat singing to diversify their sound. So you had Gala and Enkush. Um, they tend to be co-leads. So they would like bounce off each other and, you know, many of the co-lead vocalists would. And then I believe it's Jaya and Temka who would employ more like mid to low range atmospherics with their, vo- with their vocals. I think because I think all of them contribute vocals in some shape or another. And this was just me trying to cobble it all together. But basically, you've got the two leads. You've got two backing vocalists. But they're not just like backing up what the other two sing. They are actually adding to the overall wall of sound that they are trying to conjure up together. And, you know, like, again, the Western rock influences in terms of, like, songwriting there as well. Because a lot of songs have, like, a very general um, song structure of verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And for a few of the songs as well, they have crystal clear choruses. You know, you got the build up, you got the key change, and you got like a really bombastic kind of thing. You know, Uva Uva U and Shug Shug and the title track are all like big examples of that. And 
for me, the realisation that this won't be a pulsating, bopping, folk metal deluxe affair, um, and as I said, a bit more of a low simmer, came as a surprise, and I was kind of ready to write it off immediately. Um, and then I listened to Blink-182, and then I listened to this again. And then you just... I, I, once you start I've embracing the fact that it's not going to be Corpaclani, but Mongolian... Um, and you start to realise what they are actually trying to do instead. It becomes a very easy listening kind of record. The first standout track for me is The Great Genghis Khan. Um, Genghis Khan, also another name for Genghis Khan. Um, it's a slow builder that leads to an almost metalcore style riff in the chorus, which I just couldn't stop listening to over and over again, trying to figure out which band it reminded me of. Still can't. That's why I call it metalcore riff instead. Um... And in songs like this, it is fascinating to hear how they employ their voices as well as the instrument to get that rock personality out. Again, like I said, two in front, two in back. Um, Shug Shug for me is the star of the show. Um, it steals the show from the lead singles, Uber Uvu and Wolf Totem, and is one of the more upbeat songs on the album. Each member plays that part so fucking well. And I'd say it is the most traditional rock song out of the entire album. Um, again, they each member plays a part so well, they know when to simplify the string arrangements and when to bring them back in for the chorus. Gala and Inkush know how and when to affect the vocal range for the song. Ta um, Jaya and Temka use their voice for the atmospherics. It's just put together really, really well. And I think Shug Shug is a really, really great song. Um, elsewhere, Ubi of You... You can see it was you why it was used as the big single. I prefer it to the other one, uh, Wolf Totem. A lot more, a lot of um, classic rock structure with a really catchy vocal hook in there. Um, Shireg Shireg is another one. It's a bit more on the subdued tracks, um, but just the wall of sound. The choruses, the verses were very like middling, but the choruses were fucking beautiful. I just realised I don't like using the word beautiful to describe music. I've used it twice today. Um, and yeah, it's, I, I will use it. It was a fucking beautiful arrangement for the um, chorus. A very low vocal build juxtaposed with really delicate flute playing. Except less fucking demonic because, again, I have a cold. Feel sorry for me. I have a cold and listen to Blink-182. Fuck you. Um, I found myself being fascinated by this album more times than I found myself enjoying the album, if that makes sense. Um... To build an album around this idea is genuinely interesting. Crafting songs that adhere to Western music fans whilst using, like, employing their traditional backgrounds is very remarkable. It's, again, similar vein to Tengar. Um, and whereas I think Tengar Cavalry were folk influenced metal, the Hue are more of a folk band influenced by rock and metal so like the opposite way around if i didn't stammer that would have come out more clearly but such is life i think it will be divisive with the throat singing um but get past that and i think this can be a really chill easy listening kind of album i think between the who and chelsea wolf you've got two albums there which you can put on and you just find yourself losing yourself into a bit oh i'm back yeah you just Again, I don't know if it came through because I was full of a smut. You find yourself just like putting them on and then just sort of forgetting that it's on. And you just like, it's really easy just to sit and just let it absorb. Does that make sense? It's, yeah, just more easy listening. More f more good easy listening as well. It is the Gereg. G-E-R-E-G. -E -E um, it is apparently the, a diplomatic document that they used to use back in today. Or back beyond the the day, um, how they would travel and just be Mongolians, I guess. I don't know much about history. Um, and the band are called the Who or the Who. I don't know if it's the Who because that might be a copyright thing. It's spelled H-U. I don't know. I just don't know. But listen to it because it's it's cool stuff. It's very it's it's super interesting. Um, if because it is throat singing, I'd suggest going for the shug, uh, for the song Shug Shug. Because again, it is the most rock song on there. And then go to the big singles like Uber Your View or Wolf Totem. Cool. Let's finish this off with a fucking, like, 
you know, it's it's been a stressful week. It has. But along that, I got to listen to the sixth album from Scranton, Pennsylvania's favourite sons. Because apparently, Scranton, Pennsylvania has a fucking shit ton of band coming out of it. It is album number six from the emo punk hybrid, The Menzingers. The album was called Hello Exile. And it is a... Well, I call them like emo punk hybrid. They are definitely steering more towards like Heartland punk kind of thing at the moment. And it's fucking class. Um, it's a follow-up to 2017's After the Party, an album that many people consider the best album of 2017. I listened to it for the first time this year, and I can I can see why. Um, looking back, it would definitely be amongst my top two of that year. It'd be up there with Creeper, which was my actual number one from that year. It's just... Damn. Um, I had a... A part of me had a bit of like a bit of trepidation going into Hello Exile because a lot of times in the past when a band has released a big album they got huge acclaim. The follow-up has always been good, but it's never measured up because people always compare it to the previous album. Um, look at Machine Head, Blackening, Into Unto the Locust. Unto the Locust was a great album, but everyone kept saying it's not quite as good as Blackening, which you're never going to get. Machine Head never going to make an album as good as Blackening ever again. Um, you had Behemoth, or Behemoth, however you pronounce it, Satanist into I Love You at Your Darkest. Both great albums, but everyone kept comparing Love You at Darkest to Satanist. Uh, the One Year's Greatest Generation and No Close to Heaven. You know, Palm Read on No Close to Heaven is fucking insane song, but, but you know, because it wasn't Greatest Generation 2.0, it just didn't get the same kind of loving. Um, so yeah, I was looking forward to it as like a new Menzingers fan in that like honeymoon period, but I was kind of cautious that oh, everyone's going to say they're really shit now and they don't deserve this. It fucking battered away any worries I had by opening with one of the catchiest and best songs of the entire year in America, You're Freaking Me Out. Um, it was a lead song or lead single sorry, that came out a couple months ago. And it's just fucking unfair to start an album with this because it takes so much control, so much self-control to allow the album to continue and not just spam the opening song. Like, when I first started listening to this week's allotment, I think I might listen to... I was just walking to work and I think I just kept looping America, You're Freaking Me Out four times and I was like, right, cool, let's get on to Anna. And I thought, wait, no, I'm at work so I can't listen to it anymore. But a part of that's my fault because I live so close to work. And I'm still late all the time. It is just, it is a captivate, as captivating a song as you could possibly think of. All whilst being so damn understandable and very, very relatable. America, what are you doing? Um, when you eventually migrate to the rest of the album, it is just wall to wall bangers. It is just fucking great. Up and down, all around. It's just, fuck! Um, they are so grounded in their lyrics. Um, it is the Hard Times joke, um, satirical news website, basically the Onion Buffy music. It is like a recurring joke that Greg Barnett, um, one of the vocalists and premium, premium? Sure. Premium songwriters of the Menzingers, he can write a song about literally anything. Hello Exile covers long distance relationship, growing older, rekindling relationship, drugs, hometown reminiscing, all the natural affair from a album rooted in emo. And it's everything you could possibly cry about. It's fucking fantastic that way. Um, it's a weird narrative that you can carry, like listening from Menzinger's album to album. And I don't mean like a lyrical narrative that Greg Barnett is weaving, just... Musically, they started out as a punchy, energetic punk band, slowly matured into this big Heartland Rock hit feuding machine. You know, you get, I, I don't know about you, but listen to the album, I get imagery of like campfire hangouts and rustic home film, like home video film footage when you listen to songs like High School Friends, Stay in Your Memory, and Farewell Youth. Um, and a large part of that is because Barnett is himself is going through the process of growing up he opened after the pie by talking about turning 30 he then opens uh hello exile by talking about navigating his early 30s before the impending 4-0 that's in a few years time 
you know he you can relate musically and like what he's talking about because he's going through that or he just went through that and i think this is why or where this divide is coming from because i'm seeing a lot like going around the other reviews for hello xr i'm seeing a lot of it's very very mediocre or it's one of the best things Bensley have ever done. It's very, very split. Because to those who have followed the band since those like early albums, even before After the Pie, um, they are now probably they probably grew up with the band and are now in that sort of probably sim sort of age bracket as Barnet and um the rest of Tut Boys. And so can relate about not wanting to get stagnant before they're turning forty. Whereas young twats like me and like even younger again they just can't like i'm going through a quarter life crisis now and i'm not even 30 yet like hot damn fellas just leave some panicking for the rest of us you know and i think that's why people just can't like the a younger generation can't quite get on board there's always going to be people who can because music and theory is timeless but you know you, you know you know you know personally i think this is just brilliant um it's not because like comparatively to other things I listened to this week, this was the first time I listened to for this week's allotment because I was so excited by it. And you know, like I said, I listened to After the Party for the first time this year, and I've become such a fan of the Menzos afterwards. And listened to After the Party and listening to the Freaks, a standalone single, and I am in that honeymoon period of discovering a f- fantastic new band. Um, if I were to compare it to ATF. I'd say After the Party is better as an album as a whole, but America You're Freaking Me Out is better than any song on After the Party, if that makes sense. Um, the full Springsteen, Heartland Rocks kind of stuff is a little bit weaker on me, but when it's like influencing the punk, or influencing the emo, like on America, Anna, Strangers Forever, the title track, Strawberry Mansion... They're all just so enthralling and fucking amazing. Um, my biggest gripe with this album is such a non-gripe. I was listening to it for the first, second, third time. And the chorus to Strawberry Mansions kind of sounds like Santa Claus informs the sun. You know, Santa Claus informs the sun. And I threw a, what? not nearly, I actually did throw a paddy. Over the idea that I thought the Menzingers had written and released a Christmas song in the middle of November. Or the middle of October, sorry. And I was ready to like flip shit and say this is the worst album of all time and praise the gods for Blink-182. But I read the lyrics and realised I was just being a fucking idiot. Outside of a near Christmas fiasco, this is just... Oh. Italians kissing the hand good. It's that, it's jaw. Oh, weird noise is good. And, yeah, I, I've got nothing else to say. Just go listen to Menzingers. They're fucking fantastic. This is album number six. It's called Hello Exile. They are the Menzingers. They are from Pennsylvania. And that will do it for this week. I feel like I've blasted through a lot of that. I've been here an hour. Who would have thunk it? Um, you have listened to reviews from Metallica and their live show of S&M 2. Uh, Breath of Violence by Chelsea Wolf. Nine by Blink-182. Lol. The Gareg or the Gareg or the Gareg or the blah, blah, from the Hue or the Who or the H-U. Fuck, I'm sorry, guys. And you've listened to Hello Exile by the Menzingers. Coming up next week, hopefully, we should have some melodic punk from Nervous, some parody glam metal from Steel Panther, some extreme power metal from Extreme Power Metal. Fuck boys, Dragon Force. And we're going to go uber kawaii in baby metal. And as I said at the start of the show, I promised you a little bit extra this week. I was given super special permission from, that doesn't matter who, to play the brand new song from Pissed. They are from Berry here in Blighty. They were previously a like swampy, stonery, southern metal band. And they decided to say fuck that. And they are now embracing a more black and thrash, punk kind of hybrid sound. Um, personally, I was getting a lot of wafts of dark throne and cavell attack the album's coming so the song is going to be called if i was you it's coming from the back from the album fucking hell 
when the album hails it's coming out the 8th of november the song if i were you is getting a full digital release tomorrow so that's friday if you listen to us the day it gets released and yeah as i said at the top of the show i'd like to think i'd only recommend the very very best in alternative music at the moment so without further ado i've, I've yapped all enough and I, you can probably hear i'm getting bunged up again this is if i was you by berry bass blasters pissed and i will see you all next week ta-ta <laughs>